Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Welcome, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and today I'm doing a special Christmas episode with my Naughty or Nice list for 2019. This is going to be a little different than some of the other episodes, more of a potpourri, if you will, of pharmacy topics, covering who's been naughty and who's been nice in recent months and in 2019. So without further ado, start off on my naughty list, CVS and Omnicare. This was more of a recent news that kind of got out, but CVS and Omnicare are actually being sued by the U.S. Department of Justice in a whistleblower case, alleging that they basically added refills to possibly hundreds of thousands of prescriptions from 2010 to 2018. Uh, the allegations also say they put patients' lives at risk, although I don't really see it as much since it looks like a lot of the medication classes that were included in this included cardiac meds, uh, some psychotropic medications, antidepressants. They're basically stuff for chronic physical or mental health issues, so I don't see how this necessarily creates uh, issues for patients. I'd rather see this than them cut off the medications and keep these people on what they need, although it is probably not yet illegal, so that is a whole different realm of it. I have to see what evidence comes forth for all of this yet, but it could be pretty crazy to see what comes from this since it literally says hundreds of thousands of prescriptions. The case was originally started back in 25- June of 2015, two months after it was recognized internally, and thus with the whistleblower case of what it appears. 2015 was also when CVS bought Omnicare for the whopping sum of $10.4 billion. So it's interesting to see how they could get fined from a company that was even participating in some of these activities as early as five years before that. On the opposite side of my naughty and nice list, on the nice list, I have CEO of ECCHIC Group Howard Danzig. Uh, it looks like Howard and his company made a bold and probably fiscally smart move to avoid or cut PBMs out of their health care for their employees, thus saving them money and, and allow themselves more insight into what their employees' needs are. This is a huge step that other companies could follow, and a great company can keep an eye on this just to see how much it really helps out this ECCHIC group. Hopefully it could possibly follow up with Howard at a later date. I think this would be a great topic to dive into since it kind of breaks the mold of what we're seeing in pharmacy across the U.S. at least. Also on my naughty list, uh, insulin manufacturers, namely Eli Lilly and Nova Nordisk. As we kind of heard recently and seen a lot of bills come to address this issue, insulin prices have continued to climb 2019. Since 2009, when I first graduated and became a pharmacist, Levermere, Humalog, Novolog, and Lantis were all under $100 a vial, with some around that $40 to $50 price range. Now, 2019, here we are 10 years later, and all of those are over $250 a vial. Some are over $300 a vial. Now, some of the insulin manufacturers will refute this, saying that they now have pens that are more readily available for all these products. And those boxes can be broken down by as much as into fifths with the way the amount of pens are in the box. But again, when you look at the price per ml, it's still pretty similar. On the opposite side of this list, on the nice side, we have, believe it or not, legislators who are fighting insulin prices. Uh, Colorado was the first state to introduce bill to cap prices on insulin, as well as mandate that their attorney general look into some of the pricing around what is going on with insulin currently in, in their state. Uh, Ohio has a similar bill that was, I believe, spearheaded by represent- Ohio Representative Beth Liston and Senator Nikki Antonio. Illinois also passed a similar measure by Senator Andy uh, Menar. So Ohio hasn't passed yet. It's pending. But it, again, all these bills look to do kind of the same thing to help people who are diabetic, whether it be type 1 or type 2, does it, they don't really specify in a lot of cases, uh, fight the huge prices we're seeing, huge spikes in insulin. So I think that's really good. I think that's a good step, although a lot of them do limit the price of insulin 
at a hundred dollars a month. Uh, I don't think I've seen where it's spelled out if it's per prescription or if it's per uh, total monthly cost, but Hey, at least it's something to help kind of keep those pocketbooks protected from the patients in their state. Uh, this might not be perfect, but at least these laws do have some investigatory investigatory parts. So that will really help kind of dive into some of these issues. Also on my naughty list, I have pharmaceutical research manufacturers of America, AKA pharma. They are actually currently suing the state of Oregon over two different bills. For those of you who are a little bit of the nerds who follow stuff, House Bill 4005, which requires drug companies to report annually to the proper state department prices of prescription drugs, as well as costs associated with developing and marketing them. thought this was a pretty unique bill since it's looking at basically the whole practice of what these drug manufacturers do and reporting it to the state. Bifarma is claiming it's unconstitutional. State's obviously claiming otherwise since it does impact patients' lives in their state. The other bill that pharma is suing the state of Oregon over is House Bill 2658, which requires reporting to the same state department as previously stated in the former in the other bill for planned price increases at least 60 days ahead of time. And this is just so that you know patients and people don't get blindsided when they see a major price increase. Uh, again, pharma's on my naughty list for this one. I could go on a litany of reasons why they are, but they're on the naughty list for this one. Uh, why should there be so much secrecy uh, in drug pricing? The list price, real high. Rebates, $170 billion, I think, last year. Who gets the benefit of those rebates? And that was audio by Chuck Grassley. Uh, he's on my nice list, actually, with Nancy Pelosi. Both of them actually have bills out there that are going to try to change the way the pharmacy industry works in major ways from a federal level. This is big because federal uh, funds go towards Medicaid. They go towards Medicare. They go towards TRICARE or the military spending, VA spending. So it really hits some of the biggest spenders in healthcare on a dollar basis and on a, a use basis. Pelosi's bill aims to negotiate prices of the top 250 most expensive drugs each year, including insulin, which was previously mentioned from lawmakers in various states. The goal is to pass those rates on to not only government contracts, like I mentioned earlier, the Medicaid, Medicare, and TRICARE, but also private health insurance plans. That could be a game changer. I know it's only 250 drugs, but if you tackle those each and every year, obviously you'll whittle that down pretty quick. And it's not trying to set the bar too high where they're negotiating every single drug out there like some of these pl uh, private plans might do. Grassley's bill looks a little bit different, but is very similar. He's more limited, looking to limit the out-of-pocket expenses from patients and kind of changing with the, the Medicare D as we know it with some of the donut holes and the out-of-pocket expenses that come with that. He's also looking to cap drug prices at the rate of inflation or around the rate of inflation. I'd have to recheck some of that wording a little bit on my end. Uh, he's also looking to pry into the secretive box of PBMs and basically why prescription drugs are so high, as stated in the audio previously. Currently, this bill from Senator Grassley is sitting on Mitch McConnell's desk, so that could be pretty interesting to see how that goes. Pelosi's obviously has kind of been lost with all of the impeachment hearings going on for President Trump. Uh, hoping to dive into both of these at a later date with nerd out over kind of what's in some of the details with them. They're, they're pretty long. I was started reading them and I realized that there's no way I could include all of them on here other than a couple of highlights and to put both Chuck Grassley, a Senate Republican, and Nancy Pelosi, the Democratic Speaker of the House, on my nice list for 2019. All right, back to my naughty list here. The Trump administration announcing a plan that could allow you to import prescription drugs, drugs from Canada. Now, that way, Americans would benefit from the deals Big Pharma makes with other countries. That was audio about what President Trump is looking to do with some of his uh, drug importation plan from Canada. 
this is going to sound really weird why this is on my naughty list, but I think it sounds great on paper, but it's actually a horrible idea. I kind of equate it to trying to copy from the guy next to you if you're taking a math test. You know, if they get it wrong or whatever they get, you get. And I think that's where some of the issues can come with this. Uh, also, Trump claims to be a deal maker. I don't see why he wouldn't want to make a deal the way that Pelosi and Grassley have tr- attempted to do to try and drive the prices down in America since we pay the most for prescriptions than any other nation in the world. But again, it looks like on this one, he's just cheating off Canada's homework here, if you will, and relying on some of the deals that they get. And he's trying to make it a little bit easier, which I can't say I oppose it making it easier to bring the drugs in the country. But it it does create a lot of issues because, as Political pointed out, there's four reasons why you know this probably won't work. Federal track and trace requirements, which is tracking and handling of where the drugs come from and are they safe or not for consumption, would need to be established, as well as other supply chain safeguards. That would likely drive the prices back up. Maybe not as high as what we pay in America, but again, that would drive the prices back up. The second issue that Politico pointed out here, and I agree with, was that manufacturers likely wouldn't cooperate with, uh, since there's no incentive for them to do this, if they sell the drugs to Canada, now they're just going to charge Canada a higher price, and why would Canada want to go along with that if that means they're going to have to pay more for their prescriptions and more in taxes, since that's how a lot of theirs is funded, as opposed to out-of-pocket expenses. It just seems to me like, again, this is kind of copying from Canada's homework, and why would they let us do it if they can get hurt in the process? Also, labeling would be an issue since FDA versus how Canada has things labeled is a diff- is different and not just in a per dose basis per se, but what the indication is and if that's approved for some of the insurances to even cover it. That would be a, obviously a huge uh, hurdle for the FDA and the U.S. in general. And again, why would Canada cooperate? They generally stock about, from what I was looking at, about tenth of a month, one tenth the amount of drugs that United States pharmacies do. A lot of lobbyists up there even have claimed that Canada isn't America's medicine cabinet, which is probably a good way of looking at it since we consume way more drugs than they do as well, especially when you dive into opioids and things like that. A few experts also think this will work. Even the Congressional Budget Office, or CBO, said in 2004, from a previous attempt at looking at things like this, it would only lead to a few drugs coming over and a very small savings. Now, I don't know how that they determined that, but since it was the CBO, which is bipartisan, I generally take what they say is a pretty good barometer of things. And I thought this was interesting that Trump has kind of led with some of this after Florida passed a bill that would allow this in June of 2019, but haven't really seen much out of it or seen a lot as far as how well it's working. I know Bernie Sanders has made some trips up there on the on the political stump that he's always on to try and drive costs of healthcare down. But again, this is on my naughty list because I really think it's kind of like selling a false bill of goods that won't work for us or Canada because why would drug manufacturers agree to do it if it's only going to hurt them and they can't get the profits? Now, I'm not saying that I agree with everything that the drug manufacturers do because there's a lot of things I don't, but I don't see how this kind of plan necessarily works for him. I think Trump being the deal maker he claims to be should really kind of step up and make a deal here. All right, now back to my nice list. Going to contradict myself here. President Trump's back on it here, as well as Prime Minister Justin Trudeau from Canada and Mexican President Obrador for not expanding the protections for biologics in the USMCA Act they just pa- they helped pass through Congress here. Now, again, that's kind of like NAFTA 2.0 or USMCA. I like NAFTA. It rolls off the tongue easier to me, but it's the modern version. And there was language in here originally to lengthen some of the patent protections for the drug manufacturers to 10 years in all countries in Canada and Mexico 
up from eight and five, respectively, where they're currently at. Now, U.S. protection still sit at 12 years from what I was double-checking on this, but at least they can try and hopefully get some generics to come out quicker this way, which would lead to them coming out quicker in the U.S. We all know that pharma does what they can to, or the drug manufacturers do what they can to really convolute that process, so that usually gets kicked a little bit further down the road. But I think it's worth pointing out that they did back off this, and Trump really actually agreed with the Democrats a lot more on this than they did his own party, which is pretty interesting. And you know what? I'll commend, I, I might criticize him at times, but I will also commend him when I think he does something that's right. And this is one I think he did a good job on to at least get a few small things in there that can help the pharmacy overall and help us take care of patients at a cheaper cost. Also on the naughty list, uh, whose ever idea it was to try and make Tamiflu go OTC. For those of you who don't know, Tamiflu is widely used whenever we see a flu outbreak. And a lot of times it's prescribed inappropriately as a knee-jerk reaction when basically a rapid flu test hasn't been done or they're not sure. I guess I call it CYA or cover-your-ass medicine is done. Uh, Shortages and runs tend to go on this too, uh, and Tamiflu and it's generic. And you see them in spurts when they come to your pharmacy. I think anybody who works in a pharmacy has seen that where all of a sudden one doctor is just giving everybody who comes in Tamiflu, possibly even with an antibiotic. I know I've seen one office by me that always does a Z pack and Tamiflu and a Medrol dose pack. So I just give them three boxes and they're back out the door. And I wonder how appropriate or how effective it is all the time. But I really don't see how personally putting something like this over the counter does a whole lot other than improve access since most prescribers aren't necessarily accurately diagnosing the flu or aren't readily doing the test to try and catch it, I don't see how putting this over the counter where patients won't even have access to those tools to properly diagnose themselves would help this. I think it's a cash grab for drug manufacturers. Personally, I think that, you know, why don't we meet somewhere in the middle, make it like an OTC plus category and have it where pharmacists can just do the rapid flu test on patients to help just increase the access to those medications, which are needed very quickly since with Tamiflu, you got to have to get it in the first 24 to 48 hours. Uh, Zofluza is another one very similar. I believe it's within the first 48, so one tablet regimen. You have to get it to it very quickly, so most people don't see the doctor or the prescriber if they don't f- feel bad for more than 48 hours. At least very few do. I know I don't. And then for most people, the cost of it, at least where it's uh, prescription-wise, it's not very cost-effective because it only cuts a, maybe a day off of how, maybe two, of how you're feeling with the flu. Now, there's the extreme cases of little kids and things like that where obviously it could be life-saving for them or those who are immunocompromised. But again, do we really want this over-the-counter if they're going to be taking that all the time and not necessarily have the tools to make sure it's the right thing for them? Uh, I would like to see it more of an OTC plus personally, but I think this is just, again, a huge cash grab for the, uh, the drug manufacturers because once it goes OTC, certain new protections kick in where now they can make more money off that for a limited time. We saw that with Flonase, Claritin, Zyrtec, you name it of the drugs that went from prescription to OTC in the past decade or even longer, it's been a huge cash grab for them. What we need to do is to move away from this very opaque, complicated uh, system into something that's more transparent. And that was audio from Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost. He is on my nice list as well as New York State Senator Neil Breslin. They have one thing in common, and even though Yost is a pretty staunch Republican and Breslin is a Democrat, uh, both of them are actually fighting against current PBM practices that milk millions of dollars out of their states and practices that help drive independent pharmacies out of business and thus hurting patients, decreasing access to medications and medical professionals, as well as driving up costs. Uh, Yost has been pretty vocal on this for some time, on the forefront of it, even pushing into lawsuits against some of the PBMs, which I think is... 
hey, you know what, if he can get money out of him, good for him for uh, fighting up for his constituents. Senator Breslin obviously has a little bit different approach with some of this. Um, Yost was reported through internal reporting that caught hundreds of millions of dollars of not fraud, but overcharging. Breslin put forth a bill that was a Senate bill or S6531 to help bring a lot of exposure to pharmacy benefit managers in his state and to help cut out and expose the middleman costs. I think it's key that, you know, if you can't do anything here, make sure you put the sunlight on it. Take it out of that black box so that everyone can see what's going on. And then reevaluate it if you need to. Is hey, is this the right thing or is it working for us? Uh, that bill S six five three one is currently sitting on Cuomo's desk for review slash signing. Could go through. Shoot, at, by the time this gets up on Apple, on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anything, it could be up already and signed. We'll see how that one plays out. Uh, I've reached out to some of the uh, pharmacy groups in New York to kind of hear what they have to say on this, and looking to do an episode on that and see what we can get in general from what they think is going on and how it differs from some of the stuff we previously talked about in the podcast. So again, Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost and New York State Senator Neil Breslin, you make the nice list for 2019. Also on the naughty list, and this was kind of a blanket one, but whoever the heck is putting NDMA carcinogens and it seems like every damn drug these days, whether it be uh, Losartan, which was a little over a year ago, Valsartan got hit, then we have Renidity now getting hit, and then there's kind of reports or like hints that metformin might be the next one. And a lot of this has to do with where these drugs are made and, uh, overseas and possibly the FDA not having proper oversight over them being a huge, huge issue. Uh, so I don't know who's doing this. I don't think it's anybody actually in the U.S., but some of these drug manufacturers are importing the raw materials overseas to some of the American companies are causing huge issues with the drugs we're getting. And I know carcinogens in medication is probably not the best thing, especially when they're in medications that are commonly used and are essential to people's lives to get through whether it be blood pressure diabetes or even simple as heartburn the new miss america is all right and that was audio for the last person on my nice list currently the new miss america camille shire i might be saying your name wrong but camille awesome job in the competition. I personally didn't watch it, but uh, I did see it blow up on social media that she is a, I believe, biochemist and a pharmacy student at uh, VCU in Virginia. I think it's awesome that she really put pharmacy in the spotlight, and rightfully so, with what she was doing with some of her speeches. Again, she dazzled the judges with some of her chemistry skills, which was always cool to see someone do stuff like that on stage, even if it is kind of more simple chemistry from a more technical standpoint. But also hear her talk about drug safety and abuse prevention while also addressing mental health. All of those things are core to what we do as pharmacists. And I'm really hoping that she can take a platform like this and make a role out of it and really do some do some positive impact. Uh, she's going to be Miss America for a year, and that'll stick with her the rest of her life, whether she, you know she meant it to or not. And also the role of a pharmacist once you graduate sticks with you the rest of your life as well hopefully she can pair those two together and do something amazing with it so big ups to camille way to represent the pharmacy community while also when to miss america and continue to be amazing and do big things so that's my uh, my quick naughty nice list my christmas episode for the political pharmacist podcast if you enjoyed it a little bit different episode a little more lighthearted. give us a rating on apple podcasts preferably five star and leave a review that helps people find it Share it with your friends this holiday season. This is a little nice intro one to some of the things we're talking about. And if you can, uh, raise on any of the other platforms you have, share us, what have you. Spotify is one I know I got a little bit of traction on too recently. 
Uh, Thanks for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics.